guys can have a seat. I, uh, this is so weird. Are you guys with me on the weirdness of this? Everybody's all, if you're not, if you're watching at home, everybody's all kind of spread out in the room here, and there's just a few of us in the room. It, it feels a little bit like when we first started the church, except nobody's sitting with each other or touching each other, and everyone's wearing masks. So I feel like you're going to rob me at any moment or something, or, or that something strange is going to happen. And it's a little hard in the room to, to kind of generate the same passion and excitement that there is when we have two full services in this room, and everybody's worshiping, and every so so what what what's helping me in the midst of all of this is remembering that uh, God hasn't changed, He hasn't shifted. He is this. We're worshiping the same God. We're singing to the same God. And even though there's less people in the room, and even though we're wearing masks, and even though there's awkwardness, uh, God is still good, and He's still with us. And so thanks Emily and Kayla for leading us. Kayla is our second year resident. Uh, we actually, we invited her back for a second year because she was so awesome in the first year. Uh, and, uh, and Emily is our first year resident this year. And so we're really excited to have both of you guys this year. And thanks for your leading of us this morning. Last week was kind of a hot mess. Uh, if you guys were watching at home, uh, what happened last week was I went to Ohio on vacation with my family. Uh, and on the way back from Ohio, we got a call from my six-year—well, we my six-year-old niece didn't call me, but my, my, my sister-in-law called me and said, hey, uh, your niece is sick, she's coughing, she's sneezing, she says she can't taste anything, we're worried that she has COVID, and so I was like, oh no, I'm supposed to preach tomorrow, I'm not going to go to church and expose everybody if I've got something— uh, and so I recorded a video in my office. It was the most janky sermon in the history of sermon. It was just like me and my camera, like trying to like be excited in front of a Zoom camera about preaching. Uh, I sent it to everybody. And then last week, uh, Douglas got up and kind of explained what was going on. Here's what's happening. Ben's trying to be safe. We're trying to model for everybody what we hope everybody would model, which is that if there's any chance that you're sick, we don't want you to come and infect anybody else. Everybody's trusting everybody in this room, and so I'm trying to model that, and Douglas said, and so the video starts, and it plays for about a minute, and then it got cut off. And so Douglas, like a champ, just stood up and just started preaching. Uh, so I've told all of our staff, like, you better have one sermon that you're ready to preach at like the drop of a hat. You better, like, I don't care what it is, but you better have a half hour of material. You're ready at any moment, so be prepared. Uh, at any moment, but it was a hot mess. But here's, here's what we're doing to kind of correct some of that stuff. We, we worked on some of our tech stuff this week to correct some of those problems, and, and the live stream was causing problems last week, and the problem was with YouTube. Uh, the problem was not with our stuff or with what we were doing. The problem was uh, there was a connection issue to YouTube. So those of you who are watching from home, uh, there are three options now of how you can watch the service. You can watch it over YouTube, which is where most people have been watching it. You can make comments and talk to each other on there, those kinds of things. You can watch it over Facebook, uh, but we've gotten lots of comments. There are certain people that don't have Facebook, that don't want Facebook, that don't, and I don't, I, believe me, I, I, I understand that decision, especially these days. Facebook is toxic, so stay away from it if you can. So the third option now is you can watch it directly on our website. So if you go directly to our website, you can uh, watch it right there. And, and I just want to like, just recognize 
uh, our tech team, Mark McCarthy and some of the guys that have been back there week after week, Brian Raffi, who have been helping us sort out all of these problems week after week. Our church has had to pivot about a thousand times in the last six months and figure out complicated issues in complicated ways with a shoestring budget trying to do all of this. And we've had amazing volunteers and amazing staff who have stepped up over and over and over again to make things work. The other way in which we're making things work is we're going to start a second service that's going to be outdoors. Uh, starting in a few weeks, we're going to start meeting at the pavilion, uh, and we're going to start doing a, a, a shrunk-down service. So it's just going to be a worship leader with a guitar, one person, or at the piano. Uh, it's just going to be me teaching, but we're going to be outside in the pavilion. There's room for kids to run around. For those of you who are angry about masks, you don't have to wear a mask outside. You, problem solved. Uh, and, and we can all kind of meet together outside and, and do this thing together. Um, give us some time on that because the pavilion right now is not at a state where we feel comfortable and confident in meeting out there. There's some things that need to be repaired out there and set up right there. We are working as fast as we possibly can to get that ready. Um, but here's what I ask of the church. And, and can I just ask you to do this not just with the church but in every area of your life right now? Could you do this with your teachers at school? Could you do this with your boss at work? Could you do this with your neighbors? Could you do this with everyone? Could we just be a people who show grace to one another in this season? Um, could we be a people who are patient? Could we be a people who are not looking to fight and looking to be angry and looking to um, yell at your pastor, uh, but, are, but are actually being kind to one another uh, in this season? Here's, here's the way I'm carrying myself, and I want to encourage you to do the same. I think everybody right now is doing the very best they can. I'm giving everyone the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the very best they can. Uh, and, and so I want us to, I want to encourage everybody to continue to lift that up. We are doing the very best we can to accommodate everybody, to make this work for everybody, but also to be safe. It's our priority that we continue to keep everybody safe and that we follow every distancing guideline and all the guidelines that, that, that we're supposed to be following. So last week I went to Ohio. Uh, and, and when we went to Ohio, we gathered my whole family into our minivan. We have a Kia Sedona. Uh, we, we've, been, we've been big Kia owners for a long time. I know that that KIA stands for Killed in Action, which is a weird thing to name a car. Um, but we found them to be reliable cars. And so we've gathered our family into the minivan, and we've taken tons of trips. Uh, we have two little dogs. If you don't know my dogs, their names are Rudy and Jimmy. Um, they're little yappy dogs. If you've ever been to my house and rung the doorbell, it's incredibly embarrassing um, because they don't know how to behave, and I, I hate them both. Uh, I, I, I love dogs. I just don't like my dogs. So, so anywhere we go, anytime we go anywhere, we have to pack the dogs up in the car and the children. I have three children, 18, 16, and 11, and, and my kids are at an age where they know how to fight. I don't, I don't, know, I, I don't know how to explain that. When... When they're little, they kind of bicker, but when you yell at them, uh, they're done. Uh, that doesn't work when they become teenagers. Like, shout, the, the dad voice has lost its power, right? There used to be a moment where I could make eye contact and use the dad voice, and it would just take care of the problem. That's not been able to take the problem away these days. And so we get in the minivan, and the moment we get in the minivan, one of the dogs starts whining and crying, and then all of the kids start fighting because none of them want to hold the dog who is like nervous about the drive, and they're all yelling at each other, and then I'm yelling, and then it just turns into this little petri dish of conflict. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if your family was like this when you grew up. I don't know if your family is like this now, but when we get in the minivan, stuff's about to happen. 
right? It's, it's about to turn into something nasty and conflict's about to happen. And all of these things are going on. And so we took a seven-hour drive to Ohio. Everybody was arguing about where we eat, what we stop, when we stop, who takes care of the dogs, who gets, apparently one seat is better than the other seat, right? Who gets the good seat? Uh, who gets to listen to what music? Who gets to use the charger, right? There are three chargers in the car, there are more than three people in the car, and everybody wants to charge their device. So there's all of these arguments going on, and about six hours into this, I just thought to myself, I thought I was driving to get away from this stuff. Like, I thought I was leaving Atlanta to go to rest somewhere where everyone wouldn't be yelling at me, and there wouldn't be conflict constantly, and there wouldn't be arguing. I feel like our world right now is a family driving on a trip in a minivan. All of us want the trip to be over, right? All of us are done. We're ready to arrive. We're ready to fill the room back up with people. We're ready to stop wearing masks. We're ready to stop whatever the nonsense that corona has caused. We're ready for all of that to be over. All of us are complaining. All of us are frustrated. Everyone just wants out of the van. (laughs) And I feel like that's where we are. And so we've been walking through the book of Ephesians and talking about who is the church and what is the church called to be? And today, I really feel like this is a word that is exactly the word that we need as a local church, as a community, and as a body of church, the, the capital C church in the world. So if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, we're going to talk about the church as a family today. What does the church look like when the church lives as a family? We've used these three metaphors so far to describe the church in Ephesians. The first is that we are the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. We are the ones who are called out from the world. We're called to live a different way. We're called to model a different way than the world around us. The second is we are the body. And together we need each other. If one part of the body isn't functioning, the whole body isn't functioning. And so there is this deep need in the church for us to say, I need you and you need me. We need each other and we can do more together than we can do on our own. And then we talked about the workmanship or the genius of God. The church is actually the workmanship of God. And today we want to spend time talking about how we are the family and we are the temple. Those are the two metaphors we're going to look at today. So Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says this, it starts off with therefore. And my Bible professor always told me whenever the, word, the Bible starts off with the word therefore, the question you should ask is what's it there for? Right? So why is the therefore therefore? Because obviously it's starting a new, a new segment. It's saying, it's saying because of what I've just written, therefore we should do this. And so when we start a segment with therefore, it's never a good place to start. But the therefore is therefore because last time Douglas talked to us about we are the workmanship of God. We are the genius of God. That God has prepared good works for his people in advance to do. And we are the people who are doing those good works in our community. We are loving. We are serving. We are blessing. We are caring. We are becoming a blessing to the community. The church is the only organization in the world that doesn't exist for itself. It exists for the world. It exists for the community. It exists for the people around us. It doesn't exist for us to just be comfortable and cozy and, and have our coffee and have our seats and be, be, be great. It exists so that we might bless the world. And so therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh in hands. Now listen, I know there's a lot of circumcision stuff in here, and this is really weird, right? 
We've got to start here, though. Like, this is important. It's important. I know that it's weird when I just read it, and you're like, why are we talking about circumcision in the church? The, the New Testament talks about circumcision way more than it should. Verse 12, remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, so here's what's going on here. Here's why it, it, it's, it talks about circumcision and, and, and weird things. There are two groups of people that are trying to get along in the church in Ephesus. There are the Jews, who the Jews believe that they are the chosen people of God. Very similar to the way we believe in, in our culture, America is the chosen country of God, right? And God has blessed America. We, we, we love to, to talk about that narrative, those kinds of things. It's, they are the chosen people of God. And the, the sign of their covenant with God is circumcision. This is something that they have done to show that they are a part of being covenanted with God. So they have literally cut themselves so that they can show that they are chosen by God. So the Jews believe they are the chosen people of God. And so then there's this other group of people. There's the Gentiles. And the Gentiles don't have the same level of chosenness. They don't have the same promises that God has given them. They don't have the same advantages. God has not journeyed with them for as long. And so they're saying the Gentiles need to be out and the Jews need to be in. And the Gentiles are saying, wait a minute, we just want a chance to get to God. We, we believe in Jesus. We believe in God. There's this great thing that's happening. We want access to the same Father that you have access to. And the Jews are saying, that's fine, but you have to do all the work that we've done throughout history. You have to have dietary rules and dietary restrictions, and you have to follow all the law, and you have to follow all the festivals and do all these feasts. And, and they're making this long laundry list of all the things that the Gentiles have to do in order to be a part of the church. So you can understand in the early church there is this new church that has been formed by Jesus. There is a new covenant. There is a new law. There is a new creation that he's working with and starting with. And there is immense conflict within the church over who is in and who is out. Here's, here's what we realize from this text right from the beginning. People choose to separate themselves from God and one another. Jesus brings unity. People are always choosing to separate ourselves from God and one another Jesus is the bringer of unity. He is the bringer of unity to all situations. So what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, this is huge. It's not just about circumcision. It's not just about dietary stuff. It's not just about laws. It's not just about all these things. What he's saying is this. You are allowing things to divide you that were never meant to divide you. And that's not how the church is going to work. That is not how the church is going to work. We're not going to allow things to divide us that should never divide us. So the laws, the diets, circumcision, all of these things are not going to be the dividing lines we draw in the church. In the church these days, we argue over doctrine. Right? There's, there's, a, there's a million different denominations in a million different places. There's a million different churches all over the city, and all of them have tiny, non-essential things that they disagree with. Sometimes it's essential things. But for the most part, it's tiny, non-essential doctrines that we disagree with. It's, it's, it's petty conflicts over how we manage the church. It's, it's do we sing this song or do we think, sing this song? Do we stand up? Do we read together? Do we pray this way? Do we take communion this way? Do we baptize this way? There's all of these different things that we've chosen to divide us that are not worth dividing the church. I think denominationalism is an affront to God. I think in so many ways we've allowed things to, 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 to separate us between the Baptists and the Methodists and the Lutherans and the non-denominationals. I like it that we're non-denominational. We're just like, we don't care about any of that. 
Uh, we're, we, we don't fight about all those things. Like, like we, we choose all of these things to separate us and argue and fight over all of these things, and they're all just petty conflicts. And God says, why are you allowing things to divide you that were never meant to divide you? And so the question that I ask today is, what are things in our lives right now that are causing us to divide ourselves from others that were never meant to divide us? What are our petty conflicts? What's our circumcision? <laughs> Nobody's laughing at that. I think it's funny. Uh, what, what, what's our thing? Like, I, can, can we just start with politics? Like, we're moving towards the election right now. And I can't, I, I was watching the news this week, and, and there, was a, there, was a, there was a teenager on there, an 18-year-old kid who was talking about politics, and they asked the kid, they said, what's the one word that you would describe our country with right now? This is what our young people are seeing from their moms and dads. What's the one thing, what's the one word that you would use to describe our country? He said, divided. We, we, we've divided ourselves among political lines. We've said, I can, I'm not hanging out with the Democrats, or I'm not hanging out with the Republicans. I'm not hanging out with the far left. I'm not hanging out with the far right. And what we've done is we've not just divided ourselves, but we've started to demonize each other and characterize each other and say things that are just blatantly false about each other over and over and over again. Um, can we just talk about masks for a second? Like, I don't know why the world has lost its mind around masks, but I think there are people that are just angry around the mask issue. Like, if you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's a dividing point. I don't think it's something that we need to argue about and fight about and debate about and, and, and break fellowship over and, and leave churches over and fight over and over again about it. Like, have your opinions about it. Here's, here's, you want to know what I believe about all of this? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I don't know if a year from now we're going to look back and say, man, that was so foolish that we were dividing in that way, that it was so foolish that we were trying to stay six feet from each other, it was so foolish that we were wearing masks, it's so foolish that I wasn't hugging my friends, it's so foolish, or I don't know if we'll say, thank God we were staying apart from each other. I don't know what we'll look back on. I wish my football team was playing football this fall. I'll say that. But, uh, but like, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I don't know the answer to any of those things. So what I'm choosing to do is be a good neighbor and show grace. I'm just trying to choose to be kind. I'm trying to choose to say, if my neighbor believes that I, I'm supposed to wear a mask every time I'm close to them, then I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to honor them and I'm going to be kind. If a restaurant or, or, or a, a, a church or, or someplace says, I would like for you to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to honor them and I'm going to be a kind. And, and, and that's what I'm going to do. A, a friend came over to my house the other day and was helping me with a project and he, 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 he stood at the door and as he stood at the door, he said, hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at your house. Am I supposed to wear a mask? Am I supposed to like put on a hazmat suit? Like I don't, I don't know what you want me to do. I know that your wife has MS and I know that she's been sick and I know that she's open to, to getting sick more and so I want to honor you. What is the thing that you want me to do when I enter into your house? And I just thought that's, that's Jesus right there. That's kindness. That's love. That's the way that we love each other. And wherever you are on that opinion, why would we allow this issue to divide us? Uh, Let's, let's just talk about coronavirus, right? All of us have become doctors because of Facebook, right? Uh, I, I, I know that you have done 40 years of research and you are a scientist and you're a doctor, but I saw a meme this week and I'm pretty sure I understand this now. Like, this is what we've done with this. Um, the truth is there's a, there's a million conspiracy theories out there and none of us really know what's happening. 
And the, the conspiracy theories, guys, there are, I'm hearing four to six of them a week from people in the church. Things that are blatantly untrue and easy to be found untrue. Like it takes one minute of a Google search and research to a reputable company to find out that is not true. And I want to urge you as Christians and as followers of Christ that we don't fall to conspiracy theories, that we actually look for facts, that we actually look for research, that we don't believe everything that's on the internet. I know that there was, there's this famous quote um, that says, don't believe everything on the internet. And it was said by Abraham Lincoln. Like, I know that you guys understand this stuff. Like, like there, there are things on the internet that are not true, right? There are things that are being posted and things that, and, and, and that are just trying to serve an agenda of somebody somewhere. And I just want to encourage you, like, do your background work. Look for research. Look for facts. Uh, don't fall to speculation, but turn to facts and, and, and what is, what's true. And, and here's what I'm asking everybody to do. Um, I've got two seats up here. This is the most uncomfortable seat that I could find. Um, and this is, the, this is my seat that I use each week. It's a comfortable seat. Uh, and, and here's what I'm tempted to do over and over again. When I face a situation where I am sitting across from a person that I disagree with or am estranged from or am divided in some way against, what I'm tempted to do is to set up two chairs. One where I'm a little higher. This is also how I like to do interviews, right? I'm in a real comfortable seat. I'm higher than anyone else. I'm just kidding. Uh, but one where like, you're above the person, and your perspective is better than the person, and you've got it all figured out. And we're going to call this the judgment seat. It's really easy for me to sit in the judgment seat, to sit above everybody else, to say, I have the answers. I have it figured out. I know what truth is. I know what's real. My perspective is right. Your perspective is wrong. I'm going to sit in the judgment seat and I'm going to judge everything about you. The, the second seat that we're going to talk about is the mercy seat. Uh, the mercy seat is actually a part of the temple. So when God told his people to build the temple, he asked them to create a seat inside the Holy of Holies, inside the holiest place that is called the mercy seat. It's the Ark of the Covenant. And the way the Ark of the Covenant is arranged is there's two angels, like gold angels, on either side. There is blood from sacrifices on the actual lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And that lid is called the mercy seat. Actually, even below the seat, this is really interesting, even below the seat, below the seat where Jesus is supposed to sit, the mercy seat sits the Ten Commandments. So Jesus sits above the law, he sits beside the covenant, and he sits above the angels around us in this mercy seat. And in the midst of petty conflict, in the midst of division, in the midst of all of the arguments that are going on in this world, in my crazy brain, I want to figure out all the ways to win. I want to win the argument. I want to help everybody to know my perspective. I've been preaching for a really long time, and I can use words. I know how to win arguments. I know how to use words. I know how to figure all of these things out. So I love to sit in this judgment seat above everybody else and say, I know I'm right. You're wrong. I win. But then I look at God, who actually does know he's right who actually does know everything, who actually is always good, right, and perfect. And I see a God who removed himself 
from the judgment seat. When he had every right to judge us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have made mistakes. All of us have failed. All of us have been wrong. The only person that's ever walked this earth that has lived a perfect and holy life is Jesus. So there's only one person that's able to sit in the judgment seat of righteousness and holiness and goodness and rightness. And he chooses to sit in the mercy seat. He says, I'm going to remove myself from the judgment seat and I'm going to move to the mercy seat. And I'm asking the church, could we do the same? Could we move ourselves out of the seat of judgment, out of the seat where we have everything figured out? Could we break down the division by moving to the mercy seat? And the second thing I want to say today is that people choose hostility to God and one another, but Jesus brings peace. Not only have we chosen division in our country, we have actually chosen hostility to one another. Verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, and you is us. Right? This is not just the Gentiles, this is us. You, because we are the Gentiles. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace so that we might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Uh, the last set of passages starts with therefore. This one starts with but now. But now. There is division. There is hostility. But now. But now because of Jesus. Here's what it says. The dividing walls of hostility have been abolished, thereby killing the hostility. This is beautiful good news, guys. Here's what Jesus has done. He has not just come so that there wouldn't be hostility between us and God. He's not just come so that there wouldn't be division between us and God. He's come so that there wouldn't be division and hostility between each other. He's come so the walls of hostility between the church are broken down. So that the walls of hostility around race are broken down. So that the walls of hostility around politics are broken down. So that the walls of hostility around viruses and masks and whatever nonsense you want to be upset about is broken down because of the blood of Jesus. Everything has shifted and changed. He has purchased a new way for us. He has brought a new covenant. He has modeled a new life. And if our citizenship belongs in heaven, then we don't belong to the ways of the world. We don't have to get into these debates. We don't have to win the arguments. We don't have to sit on the judgment seat. And we don't have to win. Because God's already won. I don't have to fight any cultural war. I don't have to fight any cultural battle. Because my citizenship does not belong here, it belongs in heaven. Over and over again. So, so look at this, we've got a model here of the temple. This is a picture of Herod's temple. And it's, it's kind of hard to see in the room. I'm hoping people at home can see it a little better. But what you see there is, there is this entrance space on either sides, and then there is a courtyard. Can you see the courtyard in between the, the, the gathering space in the middle? The gathering space in the middle is where the Holy of Holies is. It's like the holiest place. It's where people got access to the dwelling place of God. And at this time in Ephesus, at this time when this was written, the temple was set up in such a way that the Gentiles had to stay in the courtyard. And there were literal walls that divided them from getting access to God. Does that make sense? So if I was a Jewish man, I would have access all the way into the center of that place. I could go right into the sanctuary, I could go right into the place, I would have access to all of that. But as a Gentile, I can only stay in the courtyards. Here's what the passage says. 
Jesus divided the wall of hostility. What he did was he broke down the wall that said only certain people have access to the Father. He broke down the wall. So Paul says when there's two worshipers at the temple, Christ has broken down the dividing wall with his blood, saying this racial segregation is nonsense, and it's over, and it's done by the blood of Jesus. Anything that we choose to separate ourselves and others is done because he's made the two one. He's made the church one. The Greek word for that is kainos, kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. Kainos is the word, and properly defined, here's what it means. It means a new, unprecedented, novel, uncommon thing. What Jesus has done is a new thing that the world has never seen before. It's unprecedented. It's so amazing, and it's such good news to all of the world. Because what he's done is he's knocked down the walls of hostility. He's taken away the seat that sits above the other seat. And he's given us level ground. And it's on that level ground that we walk in. So what are the walls of hostility that you've built up in your life? What are the walls that you've built up that divide you from other people? What are the issues that you say, I won't hang out with a person who believes that? What are the people that you say, I don't have time for them? What are the people that you make judgments on and you don't even know that you make judgments on them? Is it people of another race? Is it piece of people of another socioeconomic class? Is it somebody from another state? Is it a northerner? Is it a southerner? Who are the people that you make judgments on before you even know them and understand them? Who do you see as your enemy? Who's the people that you choose to vilify, to scapegoat, to blame over and over again? So here's the beautiful thing about the church, and, and I sit in a seat that not everybody gets to sit in, so I, I know a lot of you, and I know a lot of you really well, and, and I, I know this is going to be crazy for some of you, but there are Republicans and Democrats in this room. And can I be honest with you? Both of them love Jesus. So, so here's what I see going on right now in our country, and I think it's just going to ramp up as we get closer to the election is we want to vilify and name and yell at each other. So I hear language like, um, all Republicans are racist. All Republicans don't care about women's rights. All Republicans have no interest in helping the poor. And can I tell you that that's blatantly untrue because I know Republicans in the room who are passionate about all of those things. I hear things like, all Democrats love to kill babies, want to abolish Christianity, and are demon worshipers in sex cults. And there are, as far as I know, there are no Democrats in our congregation who are demon worshipers in sex cults, right? What we do is we name these things over and over again, and what we're doing is we're blaspheming our brothers and sisters. We're vilifying the enemy. We're sitting in the judgment seat above everyone else. We're fighting and arguing and allowing hostility and all of these things to divide us. It's like the church right now is in the van and we are on our seven and everybody's irritated with each other and everybody wants to arrive and everybody's angry. And the question is, how do we live when we're feeling hostile on the inside? There's never been a time in my lifetime where there has been a collective fatigue and a collective frustration where everybody is frustrated, everybody is emotionally triggered, everybody is tired, everybody has lost something over the previous months. And so a lot of times this happens where some of us are frustrated, some of us are angry, some of us are tired, but there's others that can come alongside and say, I've got strength right now and I can lift you up. 
I haven't been through what you've been through, so I'm able to come alongside of you and show empathy and care and love. The problem right now is all of us are experiencing this. We're all in the same van. We're all tired of the trip. And the question is, how do we live when we're in that space? Because I can turn around and scream and say, I'm going to stop this car. Or I can choose to try and love. The last thing is people choose to isolate and Jesus calls us to family. Verse 17, it says, And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God, members of the family of God. We are one family. We are one household. We are fellow citizens of heaven. We are the, the, the holy priesthood. We are the saints. We are all of these things. We are the family of God. And so when we look at what the family of God did in the New Testament, when we look at what the family of God did in the early church, is the family of God moved from house to house. There's, there's a lot of debate right now about how the church is gathering or where the church is gathering or, or how the church is supposed to be gathered. Well, well, let's look at the early church. Let's look at Acts and let's find out where the church met. We've got a little graphic here. House to house, house to house, house after house, Cornelius' house, Mary's house, Jailer's house, Lydia's house, Titus's and Justice's house, house to house, Priscilla, Aquila's house, Nymphia's house, Philemon's house. Over and over again, what we see was the church meeting in homes and gathering together. And I want you to understand this. Right now, our government may be saying that we can't gather as large groups in a room, which some of us would really love to do that, but it has not said we can't meet in houses. It has not said we can't meet in homes. It has not said we can't meet in small groups. What we've done is we've swung a pendulum. So we started this week talking about the series, talking about how we are the called out ones, how we are, the, we are the ecclesia of God, and how what we're called out of is consumerism, individualism, and nationalism. And if we're called out of those things, then we have to recognize that this is not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about those kinds of things. It's about the body. Alan Hirsch said this week, he said, the early church would not recognize what we do on most Sundays in a normal church. If Paul, who wrote the letter to Ephesians, showed up at our church randomly on a normal Sunday when the room is full and the worship is great and I'm up here fired up about something, he would be like, what was that? I, I've never seen it. And I don't know. Maybe he'd be excited about it. Maybe he'd be frustrated by it. We'll have to ask Paul when we get to heaven. I don't know. But you know what Paul would recognize? He would recognize a group of 10 people in a house praying together, opening the word of God together, talking about what's going on in their lives, discussing what's happening. He would absolutely recognize that as the church. And here's what's happened. Corona has revealed a lot of things to a lot of different people, but in the church, one of the things that's revealed is we don't know what the church is. We still think the church is a gathering that's for me. We still think the church is a building that I go to. We still think the church is a service that I attend. We still think the church is something that it's not. The church is the people of God gathered together. We are the church. That's what it is over and over again. And you know what? I'm not anxious about the pendulum swinging from Sundays to homes. 
I'm not anxious about the church moving from large groups to smaller groups in this season. I see it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to grow in discipleship. It's an opportunity for us to grow in community. It's an opportunity for us to grow relationally. It's an opportunity for us to grow in our knowledge of the Word. It's an opportunity for us to grow in our imagination of who the church is and what the church could be. And in these moments, we have an opportunity to step into the growth or to resist and fight it. And I want to call us to step into it. Pre-COVID, our church was growing like mad. Like our church tripled in size in a two-year period of time. Our budget tripled in size in a two-year period of time. There was enormous growth, enormous passion, enormous excitement. When I walked into this room on Sunday morning, I was excited. I knew something was happening. I knew I was going to meet some new people. I knew I was going to interact with some people that I loved. I, I, I loved the people that I was with. I loved this church. And the thing that everybody said about our church when they would come in, they would say this phrase to me, this feels like what? Family. Feels like family. This feels like family. It feels like this is this, uh, we've been looking for a smaller church. We've been looking for a family. We've been looking for a place to belong. We've been looking for a place where we're known. We've been looking for a place where, where we can have relationships. We've been looking for a place where dot, 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 dot. This feels like family. And I, wanna, I want you to know there are enormous challenges to that right now. I don't, I don't necessarily know the answers into how we continue to be family in the midst of COVID. I don't know how to do all of these things. This is new ground for me as your pastor. We're doing the best that we can to figure those things out. But we do have an opportunity. And the opportunity here is do not allow uh, the, this virus to, to separate us. Do not isolate yourself. So over the past, let's say, three or four months, we've had a bunch of people that have left the church. Sent me angry emails. They're mad that we're requiring masks. They're mad that we preached about race. They're mad that we whatever... They're mad about something. Here's the one commonality between all of those people. All of the people who are angry with me right now are not connected relationally to the rest of the church. We have allowed this to isolate ourselves. And as we isolate ourselves, we forget the beauty of family. And so here's, here's, here's the reality. It takes a lot more work in COVID to be family. It takes a lot more intentionality in the middle of this, to be family. It takes a lot more thoughtfulness for me to be family. It takes a lot more attentiveness for me to be family. But it can still happen. Who is the person from our family that you're called to bless this week? Who is the person from our church family who you're called to serve this week? Who is the person you're asked to encourage this week? Who is the person that needs you to remind them who they are in Christ? Who's the person that you need to stand beside and speak truth over them? Who's the person who needs your love right now? Who's the person who needs your care right now? Who is the person that you're called to stand with right now? We can use this space in our history to divide us. Or we can say, you know what? Let's use it to unite us. And the only difference between division and uniting is intentionality. Could we be intentional about who we're seeking? Last part of this verse, verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer separated. You're no longer divided. There is no longer hostility. But you are fellow citizens with saints and members of one household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. 
And in Him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen, the cornerstone has not changed. Our trust and our faith in Jesus has not faltered. This is a tough trip. We're all in the van. We're all tired. I have lots of grace for you if you're angry, if you're upset, if you're frustrated, if you're irritated. I get it. But we are the household of God. We are the family of God that is held together by the cornerstone of Jesus. And nothing this world throws at us changes that. Guys, this is the beauty of the church. I don't know another place in the world where I can simply be. I can be me. I can be who I am. I can bring my family. I can show up week after week and be loved by a community not for what I bring or not for what I have to offer, but because of who I am. I have more in common with any person in this room than I do with anybody outside this room because we are brothers and we are sisters. We are citizens of heaven. And we get this opportunity right now to stand firm, to model a different way for the world and to love. And I want to invite you with us to join us. Here's some questions that I want you to reflect on. We're going to move to a time of communion. If you've got your little communion stuff with you right now, you can move to that time right now where you can take the the, the juice and and the bread. But as you do that, I, I want you just to think through these three questions. And these are three questions that I'd love for you to reflect on this week. I'd love for you to write them down and put them in your journal and carry them with you and take this to heart because it's easy to say, yes, there's other people that need that message. It's one thing to say, I need that message right now. And this week I'm preaching a message that I needed to hear. Here's the questions. How can I be a bringer of peace this week? In a world that is divided, in a world that is full of conflict, in a world that is broken, how do I become the bringer of shalom, the bringer of peace to the world around me? How can I tear down the walls of hostility in my life? Think of people that you are divided from. Think of people that you need to offer forgiveness towards. Think of people that need to forgive you. Think of people who need grace. The scripture says before you even come to the altar, go to the people that need forgiveness. Go to the people who you are divided from. Go to the people that you are broken from and go seek them out. I would love it if we became a church that sought reconciliation. We seek reconciliation between the people we don't agree with. We seek reconciliation between the people we're hostile towards. We seek racial reconciliation. We seek social economic reconciliation. We are the people who want to bring the peace of God to the whole world. We want to be a blessing to the whole community. And the last one is how do you move together versus isolating? How do you move towards one another instead of being alone. I recognize there are all kinds of things in place. we got to stay six feet apart. That isolates me. I, I don't know if I can have people over to my house. That isolates me. I don't know what I can do, but there are lots of ways that we can connect. My aunt was a missionary in China when I was in high school and junior high. She would fly to Hong Kong every five years and be gone for five years. And then she'd come home for six months. I remember very clearly every time I dropped my aunt. She was my favorite aunt. Her name was Susan. I couldn't say Susan when I was a baby. I called her Cece. And I remember my aunt Cece would get on a plane and she would fly to China and I knew I wasn't going to see her for five years. I knew that I could barely interact with her. I was not much of a letter writer when I was 12, surprisingly. 
Uh, and I knew that I wasn't going to get this interaction with her. And I can remember my heart breaking because there was this separation that was about to happen. We live in a world where that doesn't have to happen anymore. We can be connected. We can get on a Zoom call. We can get on a phone call. We can text one another. There's so many ways in which we can connect right now. Do not allow yourself to continue to isolate. Choose to connect in this season. And the last thing I want to invite you to do, and these are the two words that I think the Lord's given me for this season, it's passion and peace. That the same passion that lives in us when this room is full and the band is rocking and nobody's wearing masks and everybody's excited, it can exist right now. The same fire that built up in us as we watched the church grow and watched it expand and watched amazing things happen can still exist in us right now. And the peace of God that transcends all of our understanding and all of our uh, ability to, to even understand what's going on in the world is available to us today. So Heavenly Father, I pray for passion in this room. I pray for passion in this church. I pray that you would reignite a fire in our hearts that will grow and that will build and that will impact this community. And I pray for a peace, Lord, a peace that passes all of our understanding, a peace that puts to rest all of the hostility, all of the division, all of the fear, all of the worry, all of the doubt that's in our minds and in our hearts right now and that runs our country right now. I pray that you would bring peace to us right now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray for your peace and your passion to live in this place and to live in this church. To every home that is listening from home, I pray for your passion and for your peace. To every person that is in this room, I pray that they would leave this place with your passion and with your peace. I pray that they would take that passion and that peace to their workplace and it would grow from there. And I pray that a spark in this room would light a fire in our community. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the cornerstone. We thank you that you are the one who will do the work. We thank you that you don't choose to sit on the judgment seat, but the mercy seat with us. And we ask that you would teach us to do the same. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.